It is good to be here to worship with you on campus or online, however you've chosen to join us today. Have you ever had one of those moments where somebody says something and you think, well, yeah, maybe that's right. And then within hours, you experience that what they said is exactly right. Uh, that happened for me this week. We were hosting the Global Leadership Summit simulcast here on campus, and one of the speakers began talking about something called the silver medal syndrome. Now, I I'm a huge athletics fan, and so I'd been watching all of the Olympics, and he had my interest at that moment. And, I and I'm kind of leaning forward in my chair going, okay, what what's he talking about by the silver medal syndrome? Well, it seems that psychologists have been researching this for a number of years. In fact, almost 20 years. And here's what it is. Basically, it says this. The person who wins the silver medal, they, they, they didn't quite get the gold, okay? And so that smile they give, if you look at it when they're on the podium and they've got silver, it's kind of like plastic, okay? It, because all they're really thinking about is, I was this close to getting the gold. And so even though they are better than 99.999999% of the people in the world, they're still unhappy because they didn't get the gold. However, the bronze medalist, the person who finished third, the bronze medalist is thrilled just to be at the party because they know that they were actually this close to being another name in oblivion. And so their smile is genuine. They're like, hey, I got here. I'm, a, I'm up here on the podium with the gold medal person. And, you know, this is kind of cool. And I'm thinking to myself as the speaker's sharing that, like, yeah. And then I went home and I watched the Olympics. Maybe you saw it too. That they had the, the 400 meter dash, right? The sprint, one lap. I'm always curious about that because that's what I ran when I was in high school. And so these guys are so fast. And if you saw it, you know that there, was, that there, were, there were two Americans in the finals. Out of the eight slots, I mean, think about it. These are the eight fastest men in the world. And there are two of them from this country. And one of the guys from this country who was in that top eight was a, a guy who, was, who had actually run the fourth fastest time in history and the fastest time this year and so the networks and the sports commentators they were all over his story right and it helped I mean his his mother was actually Japanese and so they had all this backstory and commercials and all of that kind of stuff for him and then they ran the race in fact nobody even really heard about the other American who was in the race because everybody's focused on this guy who's going to set another world record. I mean, he's, he should do it. He should do it in this race. Everything is pointing towards it. All the commentators, all the media. And the race starts, and he finishes like sixth. But the guy that nobody was talking about, the, the, the guy that, that nobody expected to do anything, he finished fourth. Now, immediately... All the national pride in me is like, yeah, but we didn't even get a medal, all right? But then they did the thing that drives me absolutely bonkers. 
as a guy who spent his life around athletics, I mean, I, I, know, I know that they have to do this. I know it's part of the deal. But, but have you ever noticed how somebody's just had a, a massive hurt, a massive failure, a, a massive miss of the goal, and somebody sticks a microphone in their mouth and says, hey, tell us what you feel. Like, I feel like crud. That's what I feel like. I, you know, I don't feel good about this at all. And so they did that to the guy who was supposed to win the race. They'd set him all up to and And I loved it because he was so honest. I mean, he just he looked at him and went and just walked off. <laughs> I mean, he just walked off. And I'm like, yes! But the guy who finished fourth, on the other hand, they said to them, hey, how are you, how are you doing? He's like, man, I'm awesome. Nobody expected me to even make the finals. I'm in the top eight fastest guys. I finished fourth. I mean, he's not getting a medal. He's not getting a paycheck. But he's happy because he finished better than he'd ever finished before in his life. Friends, we're, we're in the middle of, at the end of, hopefully coming out of, in spite of the Delta variant, a pandemic. Something that's shut down the world. Something that's, that's revolutionized. I mean, it's a, every hundred years there's a pandemic type experience. It's been a hundred years since we've walked through this before. And if you want to get nervous, go back and read what happened in this country in the 1920s and think, is that what we're about to do for another 10 years? <laughs> I hope not. I'm praying not. And I believe that, that quite honestly, if we're, able to, if we're able to maybe get the attitude of the guy that finished fourth... Maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to come out of this focused on the real prize instead of so overwhelmed at our failure to do what we wanted to do. Because you see, I promise you, in the last 18 months, there have been very few, if any, people who've been able to do what they thought they were going to do in those 18 months. I mean, some of you have had weddings that were delayed or postponed. Some of you are still waiting, even now, to have memorial services for friends, for family who died during the pandemic. And you just haven't been able to do it. The things have been so delayed. And then just as, we, just as we think we're getting out of it, and then there's a variant that shows up. And now suddenly we've got to go back and look at things and be cautious again. And, and there's this sense that if we're not careful, all of this... All of this will get our eyes off of the real prize. What's the real prize? The real prize is to be who you were created to be by Jesus Christ. See, that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God loved you enough not just to create you, but to send his son to make sure that you could be who you were created to be. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus comes into our life so that we can, we can be everything he created us to be. And here's the problem. We can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it ourselves. We can't make it happen ourselves. In fact, get this, we can't even repent enough to make it happen. You say, Pastor, what do you mean we can't even repent enough? Well, there's this story in the book of Acts that I think could help all of us end up at the place where we focus on the prize and not focus on our failure. It happens in Acts chapter 19. It involves this man named Paul that we've studied so much this last year. 
as we've taken the book of Acts and gone through it literally verse by verse since the pandemic started. Uh, the, the story is where Paul comes back to a town called Ephesus. Now, if you were here with us online or on campus the last few weeks, you know we, we've talked a little bit about Ephesus. Paul stopped there on his way back to, uh, back to Antioch to report into the church, on his way to Jerusalem to let the church in Jerusalem know. He, he stopped there, and, and he left Priscilla and Aquila there. And last week we talked about the fact that while he went on down to Jerusalem and Antioch, they, they met this guy named Apollos. And Apollos, Apollos needed to know that there was more, more to Christianity than just knowing about Jesus. You, you needed to experience Jesus. And so Apollos' life is changed by Priscilla and Aquila taking him aside and, and talking to him and, and telling him, hey, you know, there's more than just this baptism about repentance that you heard from John the Baptist. There, there's more than just you, you being a person who is trying your best to live out the values. No, no, there's a relationship, and they tell him the full story of who Jesus is. And then he's so moved by that that he, he goes over to a town called Corinth, where Paul had originally met Priscilla and Aquila. He goes to help the church there. So the story picks up now. After Paul's been to Antioch, while Apollos is over in Corinth. Listen to the story from Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come. And that person who came is Jesus. And that person who came was Jesus. See, the, the reality is that if, if we're not careful, if we get our eyes off the prize, if we focus on our failure, if we, if we have a silver medal syndrome instead of a heart of gratitude, we, we can settle for something. And that's what these disciples, that's what Apollos had done. That's what many people in the first century who had heard from John the Baptist that there is a Messiah coming. And they had heard about Jesus, the teacher from Nazareth. And they intellectually and cognitively knew who he was, but they, but they had never met the resurrected Jesus. They, they'd never met the person who conquered sin and death and hell. They, they heard about the good teacher. They, they heard about the miracle worker. They, they heard about all the good things that this this Nazarene carpenter turned rabbi had done, but, but they'd never really met him. And they, they were just settling for a, a baptism of repentance, a baptism that was all about just, just being sorry, just being, just, just understanding that, that you failed and you needed forgiveness. And what Paul is teaching these men, and we'll find out a little later in the passage, there were 12 of them. Well, he's teaching these 12 guys. It's the same thing that Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos, that it's not enough 
to just repent. And I want you to hear me. I'm going to talk about this a little, quite honestly today, because I think it needs to be addressed while we're still in the last stages of the pandemic. Because you see, for, for about a half a century, in the United States in particular, and in the West in general, there's been this emphasis on if people will just repent, if people will just turn from their way, wicked ways, if people will just do these things, then, then, no, no, listen, it's more than repenting. You see, a baptism of repentance, I love F.F. F. Bruce, who was a professor at Princeton years and years ago, who, who said it this way. F.F. F. Bruce said it like this. Baptism for repentance anticipates. It's, it's a baptism of expectation. But baptism, baptism of renewal, baptism that is in Jesus, it's not just a baptism of repentance for what you've done. No, no, it's a baptism of relationship. It's a baptism that says, you know what? I'm going to live with Jesus. I'm going to not just allow him to forgive me of my sins and make me a new person, but I'm going I'm to live in a relationship with him so that as a new person, I, I can be beyond, beyond just the repentance. See, God calls us, you, me, everybody living, into a life of renewal beyond simply repenting. So when Paul shows back up in Ephesus, which, by the way, was a cool place for him to be, he came there strategically. See, Ephesus was a city of about 250,000 at this time in population. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And it was located strategically where seaport could take you to all the places on the Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea. And, and it was located in a place where roads came through, even through the mountains. That's why I say he came to the inland journey. He came by land this time to Ephesus. And it was strategically placed so that, so that merchants and people who were there could, could find it. And, and it had impact in so many ways. And, and Paul, Paul had him invited back there. He actually had been invited to come back to this place. Because you see, when, when he was there the first time, it was a little different experience. See, the, the first time he came through, when, when he and Priscilla and Aquila were there, and he left Priscilla and Aquila when he went on down to Antioch and to Jerusalem. If you remember, you, you can read it he, back in chapter 18. Paul, when he was there, he, was, he went into the synagogue. And for those of you who were here a few weeks ago or who were watching us online a few weeks ago, you know that, that we shared that, that this synagogue in Ephesus was one of the largest collections of Jewish intellectuals around the world at that time. Outside of Israel, it was one of the largest synagogues. And so when he showed up there, he was coming to a place where they had invited him to come back. They said to him, hey, we want to hear more about this Jesus. We want to hear more about this resurrection. We want to hear more about this kingdom of God. And so when he came back, he came looking for people who wanted to know about the resurrection, who wanted to know about renewal, who wanted to know about a relationship. And he finds these 12 guys. I want you, I want you to look at that passage with me just one more time. I want you to listen, listen to their reaction. Because some of you, as, as I'm talking, I'm saying, hey, you know what? It's not enough to just repent and ask God to make you a new person. You've got to... In, You've got to accept Jesus' invitation, his call on your life into a renewal of relationship. See, you were made, you were born to live in relationship with God. 
You weren't made to be isolated. You weren't made to be distanced from God. No, you have breath because the creator of breath wants a relationship with you. And so when Paul comes back into this town where he's reasoned with people, where he's been invited into the synagogue, look what happens. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. See, some of you have never even heard the words that I'm saying to you, that you were not created just to ask forgiveness of your sins. You were created to live in a relationship with God. Now, that will start with our repentance, but it doesn't end there. See, when it ends there, you end up with this kind of institutional Christianity. You end up with this kind of cultural Christian experience. You end up with this experience where, well, you know, I, I went to an altar when I was 12. I'm 55 now. I've not been back to church since then. But if I die, I'm going to heaven. I had a, a, a pastor friend down in western Kentucky tell me a story one day about the fact that he... Uh, there was this guy in, in his little community who died. And the guy was known to be a notorious cheat. He was unethical in business. He, he honestly ran a huge, huge um, drug dealership, if that's whatever you want to call it, okay? He was, he was a drug dealer. Everybody in town knew it, right? And, uh, and he got killed in a fight. And it was just horrible, and he, he didn't go to church anywhere, hadn't been in the doors of a church in like years and years and years. And my pastor friend got a call from the, from the local mortuary, and they said, hey, we just need a preacher who could come. And he said, I don't know the guy. I'm like, well, nobody else in town's willing to do it. And, then, and he said, well, okay. So he said, I, I went over, and he said, all I could think of was that I began to tell people, I was started, he said, well, well, you know, we're all here today, and and... You know, I didn't know this gentleman. You knew him better than I knew him. And, but the fact of the matter is, you know, all of us, all, all of us need to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he said, just as I said that, the, the man's son, big burly guy, stood up in the front row and said, hey, Reverend, my daddy went to the altar at First Baptist Church when he was 10 years old, gave his heart to Jesus, and he's in heaven right now. He's like, okay, I don't want to argue with you. You're bigger than I am. But I need you to know there are some people out there who think that's all Christianity is. That sometime when you're a kid or sometime when you're an adult or sometime in a crisis, you pray this prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, please. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we ask. But what Paul is teaching these 12 guys, and hopefully teaching us, is that, is that you weren't born for that kind of check it off the list and get it done to get fire insurance to keep you out of hell. No, you were, you were created, you were born for a relationship with Jesus. You were called by God for a renewal of your life that goes beyond simply repenting for the bad things you've done. It invites you into a relationship. Look what, the, maybe you're like these 12 guys. We never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, then into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. 
which was for repentance. And that's what Paul says. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come. But hey, Jesus has been here. And Jesus is now asking you to let his spirit live in you. On learning this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in languages or tongues and prophesy, and there were about 12 men in all. What happened was this. When they were willing to say, hey, you know what? It's more than me just repenting. I'm literally going to let God renew my life. Suddenly they were given gifts and abilities to be able to live that life. Here's my point to you this morning. You are called to live in a renewal that goes beyond repentance so that you can be a part of the kingdom of God that is here and present now, even in the last days of a pandemic I know you're hurting I know you're tired I know you're exhausted I am too the numbers are staggering 40% of the people in the United States right now have what psychologists refer to as a diagnostic mental illness that's not just like oh I feel bad and by the way, before the pandemic, in most years, that runs about 18, 15 to 18% of the population. But right now, there are 40% of the people, four out of every 10 people you see, who are walking around with a diagnosable mental illness out of this pandemic, out of all the changes. What better time for the kingdom of God? What better time for the people of God to say, hey, you know what? There's more to this than just simply repenting. There's a relationship. We're called to live in connection to God through Jesus Christ, through Jesus' Spirit. See, that's who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 about what's going to happen. And what he says to us in that to summarize those verses is he says this, Hey, I just want to let you know, when I'm going away, I'm going to send my Spirit to be with you. And my spirit is going to convict you. And my spirit is going to comfort you. And my spirit's going to counsel you. And, and my spirit's going to live with you if you will let my spirit live in you. See, what we're talking about is the kingdom of God that isn't just someday out in the future when the world ends and Jesus is. No, 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 no. We're talking about the fact that Jesus' message when he came, his first message was this repent and believe the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand. Right now, August 8th, 2021, you've been invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. And that's what you were made for. Not just to repent of your sins, not just to cognitively know about Jesus, not just to intellectually assent to some form of, of creed or content. No, you were made for a relationship. You were called beyond your repentance by a renewal to a life of renewal. Oh, and get this, regardless of how much resistance you face, yeah, you're called to a life of renewal regardless of the resistance. Now, what do you mean resistance, Pastor? Well, see, there is an enemy of your soul. There's someone who doesn't want you to live in connection to Jesus through his spirit. There's someone who doesn't want you to to live the life you were created to live. The scriptures call him Satan or the devil. I'm not sure about pitchforks and little red suits and all that stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. 
I'm talking about the one who lies to you and tells you personal stories that aren't true about you. The one that tells you you're never going to be enough. That if people really knew who you were, they wouldn't love you. The one who spreads lies in your thoughts. The one who wants your destruction. The, the, the Bible tells us that he's like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he would devour. The Bible tells us that he's a liar. and He's the enemy of our soul. And he creates resistance. And right now, right now we're living in a culture where, where it seems like the resistance is just easy to see. But sometimes we get so focused on, on being the army of God against the resistance of the culture that we miss the devil's, Satan's, the enemy of your soul's greatest tactic. And that is to make us apathetic. That is to make us believe we can do it ourselves. That is to tell us, we're okay. It's all right. See, the resistance comes in lots of forms. For Paul and these 12 men, the resistance came in this really, really interesting thing. Listen to the story. I, I'm going to start reading in chapter 19 again. And let's, let's pick up at, at verse 8. And Paul entered the synagogue. Remember, they had invited him to come back. And for three months, he spoke boldly. Now, I just need to stop there for a minute. Paul never got to stay anywhere three months. He got ran out so many times in three days, okay? They asked him for three months. He's reasoning with them. He's talking to them about the kingdom of God, about who Jesus is, about this renewal beyond your repentance. But when, when some in the congregation of the synagogue became, I love the way Luke puts this, stubborn and continued in their unbelief in spite of the truth that they were hearing. And they began speaking evil of the way. Now, the way is a, is a way of talking about followers of Jesus. They were following Jesus on the way of God. And so when, when they became stubborn, when they began to, to say evil things about, about, not just about Paul. Paul didn't get upset when you said evil things about him. He was used to that. But when they begin to say evil things about Jesus, when they begin to say evil things about the kingdom of God, that was it. Now, friends, I need to say to you, there are some people, uh, I love this, you're called to love everybody, right? Jesus tells us, love those who despitefully use you. So even the people that are against you, we're called to love. Even the people who are working for the enemy, we are called to love. But can I tell you, some folk are easier to love from a distance. So some folk are just easier to love from a distance. And what Paul says is, look, if you're not going to believe this, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to go find a place where I can teach people. So he withdrew from them and took those 12 men with him and anyone else who would go, and reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, he spent two years. Two years. You see, what Paul did was he said, hey, look, if you're not going to believe, if you're going to be a barrier, then I'm going to find a place where I can tell this truth, where I can share this, this relationship, where I can help people find their way into the kingdom. I'm going to find that place. And so that's what he did. And he went down to the Hall of Tyrannus. Now, some of your Bibles may have a footnote in them, or some of them may actually have this in the text. 
and because in some of the manuscripts it says that, that he, he there spent every day from like 1 to 3 or noon to 2, the midday section of their life, teaching. Because he could have the hall for free. Now, Tyrannus was a, was a local teacher, and he taught in the morning. And, and you have to know the culture of Ephesus in the first century. It's kind of a, a Mediterranean place. It's warm. It's humid. And, and so what they, what they had was in the mornings, that was when you worked. And I don't know if you've ever been in a culture. I, it, it's this way in the Ivory Coast, in Cote d'Ivoire, where I go to teach sometimes. And that is that when there I teach in the morning from 8 to noon. Then at noon we break the class and we come back at 2.30. Because everybody goes back and they eat and they sleep until 2.30. And then we come back and we go from 2.30 to 5.30 or 6 in the evening. Now in Ephesus, the pattern for social life was that, in fact, one, one uh, philosopher said it this way. In Ephesus, there are more people awake at 1 a.m. than 1 p.m. In other words, the party happened at night, all right? I'm a child of the 70s. Every time I read that, I keep thinking about a song that said the freaks come out at night, all right? And, and, the, and the whole idea is that in the middle of the day, during the heat of the day, this, this hall of Tyrannus was open, nobody using it. And so, and so what, um, what Paul did was he said, you know what, if, if you guys in the synagogue are not going to listen, I'm going to do that. Now, why is that so important? Why is it important that he stayed there for a couple of years? Because here's what I, what I believe to be so true. In, the, in a life of renewal, when you get past just repentance, and you live in this renewed relationship with the one who made you, who knows you better than yourself, then what happens is you begin to realize that there's a beauty in living this way for Jesus. There's a, there's a beauty in the life that Jesus created for you. You were created to live in such a way that, that this renewal connects you to the way you were, indes- you were, you were made. You are, you are indescribably beautiful. You are someone who has unique abilities. God has used you and blessed you, and, and he's there with you. And now you're living in a relationship, and, and all those voices in your head, all those negative comments, all those people who oppose you, all that resistance. No, no, when you're living in the relationship of renewal with Jesus, then he begins to heal you. He begins to, he begins to show you how you were really created. And what he does here with Paul is that he puts him in this major city where all these people could come by, where, where uh, during the time of day when everybody's taking a nap and everybody's kicked back, he's over there in the heat of the day, most likely having worked in the morning, probably with Priscilla and Aquila, making leather goods and tents and earning his keep, but then instead of going and taking a nap like everybody else, he's like, okay, hey, the Hall of Tyrannus is available. I'm going to go over here. Anybody wants to come? Anybody wants to come and listen? Anybody wants to come and, and learn? Anybody who wants to come and be changed? Hey, you come. And what we know from the rest of the scriptures is that in those time frames, people came. For two years, people came. And for two years, people encountered Jesus. And for two years, people were shifted and people's perspective was changed. And people were dynamically, radically changed by Jesus. You say, how do you know that? Because when you look at like Colossae, you read the the letter of Colossians in your New Testament, you'll find Paul talking about, hey, I've never been there before, but when I've heard about you, I've been praying and thanking God for you all that time. How did the church get to Colossae? It was on one of the roads coming out of Ephesus. Or when you read a little letter in the New Testament called Philemon, 
It's a letter that Paul wrote to a, a man who was a Christian who lived in Colossae. And, and Paul writes to him and says, hey, you know what? Your slave Onesimus, the, the, the one whose name means useful, but, but actually he's been useless to you because he's a runaway slave. Well, guess what? I met him in jail. <laughs> and, he, and he is now your brother in Christ. And so I, I, could, you know, I could tell you that you have to take him back and you have to forgive him. But you know what? Uh, Philemon, you, you owe me your very life. And I could make you do that, but, but I'm not going to do that. I'm asking you as a brother in Christ to be changed and to share the change, the forgiveness, the love. You see, throughout the New Testament, you find evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in those 12 men and in Paul in Ephesus over those two years. And it was radically changing lives. You see, my friends, God made you. God knows you. And yes, when we walk away from him, yes, when we, when we fail, yes, when, when we don't live up to all the hype and the expectation that we've placed on ourselves, uh, yeah, there, there's a place to repent. But can I tell you, after the repentance, there's a place for renewal. There's a place for you to live in relationship with God in spite of the resistance because there's a beauty in you that only the Spirit of Jesus can bring out. And so this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to open yourself up to allowing God to renew your life. If you've repented, then I ask you, to open yourself to letting God renew you. If you've not repented, I invite you to repent and to allow him to renew you. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to pray a prayer. Then we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I'm going to invite you to make this place, whether you're online or on campus, whether you're in the balcony or on the main floor, I'm going to invite you to make an altar right where you are and to hear the same words that the Apostle Paul said to these 12 men. How have you been baptized? Have you just been baptized with a repentance for the bad? Or have you been baptized with a fulfillment of the expectation, with a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Abba, Papa, thank you that you didn't just create a checklist for us, create a, a creed for us, create a, a way to just fit into an organization or an institution. Thank you that you loved us enough to send the person who knows us better than we know ourselves, your only son, Jesus. You sent him so that we could, yes, repent and believe, but that we could live in relationship, united with you, so that we could discover 
in spite of the resistance, in spite of the pain, and in spite of the stuff that we're walking through right now in a pandemic, we, we could discover a relationship that lasts forever. That your spirit could, could convict us, could counsel us, could comfort us. And so right now, for my friends gathered here on campus and those online, I ask you, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.